energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, activators, and welcome to the first ever Ask Me Anything with myself, Daniel Wilcox, which is going to be a little bonus episode to the Activated Authors podcast. And I am joined by a wonderful group of the people in the Activated Authors community, as well as our team member and wonderful helper, <laughs> Sam Frost. Hey, Sam, how's it Hello. going? Good. I'm, I, I want a hat now. That's the second time. You want a hat? Yeah, I want a hat. That is the second time you've called me a helper. And I feel like I need little pointy ears and a hat. And quite frankly, if I don't get them, then I riot. We can figure that out. We can try and find a way to make that happen. Cool. But yeah, are you, are you, so how this is going to work is we have lots of people who have sent in questions beforehand. We are streaming live via Zoom to the community as well as in Facebook. So as people drop in questions into the chat, into the comments, we'll try and get to as many as we can within the hour. And it's literally as simple as that. I mean, Sam, are you, are you ready? Yes, I am ready. So start easy on me because I feel like stuff like this needs to be warmed up a little bit. I need to get the vocal cords going. I need to get the mind going. I need to get like the right, well, not that there is a right answer, but I need to get the, the what's the first question, Sam? Well, yeah, I was, I, was, I was just wondering when you were going to stop. You've got, I'm sorry, did you say you've got to get your mind going? Because it's currently mm-hmm. like, what, 10 past eight in the UK. Uh, well, yeah, I've been mind... working since seven. That's so not technically true. you stop your mind working and then you've like run it yes. back in? Is that what's going on? Right, okay. Yes. Just to... Okay, cool. So yes, all right. You want you want me to start easy on you? I yes. can do that. Okay. In that case, I've got a question for you from Caitlin Duncan, one of okay. our wonderful expert panelists, mm. and she wants to know when will your productivity book get published, and are you looking for beta readers? Because in case you weren't <laughs> aware, she really wants to read that book. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's the the, the full answer. The easy answer is I don't know yet. Um, so this book has basically changed a lot of how I've been approaching writing books because I have written and published a lot of books over the last five, six years. Um, and because I have been so balls to the wall writing lots and lots of stuff, I am allowing myself a bit of grace to slow down this book. So for people who aren't aware, I I think it was, it was around April 2020 that the idea of writing a book on productivity came to me since in 2020, I think it worked out as 26 books I wrote that year. Um, last year, I wrote 16 books in total. In the last sort of six, seven years, I've written a total of 60 novels and works of different kinds, you know, working in collaboration, short stories. And so, you know, I I have quite a lot of tricks and tips and, and I've spent a lot of time studying how to best optimize a life to be, quote, productive. Um, and I say that because one of the questions that I believe is going to pop up later will relate to this. Um, so I had already begun work on the productivity book straight after I published Collaboration for Authors, which was around, I want to say, June 2020. Um, and it's it's been a really interesting, difficult journey on that book because it started off as, OK, here's a thing that I can write quickly to prove how easy it is to be productive. Um and as I was writing, I got sort of about 10, 15K into the, the first draft at the end of 2020. And I realized, I mean, 
not only was I working on multiple other projects as well, but I realized that I was really doing it a disservice by rushing it because productivity, you know, I mean, it's very much a buzzword at the minute, but it's not an easy thing to be productive. There are many, many obstacles, like physical, mental, in your way, and it's kind of how to overcome those. So I didn't want to just be another productivity book that is time management, that is how do you get through emails, how do you balance you know, just the typical stuff that lots of those books tend to go on about. Because when you research productivity, and when you look at productivity books, so many of them are centered around sort of more, well, they're more corporate focused for a start. It's a, a lot about being productive in the workplace, as opposed to how do you be productive with a creative career outside of work? It's a lot um, of time management stuff, right? Well, yeah, the, the actual um, sort of language has changed because technically, if you think about it, productivity is time management it's where where are you best to use your time to achieve the things that you want to achieve where Mm -hmm. where are you best to you know factor your minutes to be effective and the language has changed you know as it always does there's always a new buzzword for something or other um and so I let it sit and I came back to it in 2021 and was like I'll give this another stab I got another five six thousand words into it and then went yep this still this still isn't right like I'm not I wasn't I wasn't saying anything new I wasn't saying anything sort of specific that I thought needed to be out there that sort of added anything to to what was being said fast forward to january 2020 in which i've kind of dived in allowed myself the room to be able to work on it um and i've i mean the last few months have taken me on a journey that has made this book very very unpredictable for me because i've worked through all of the research i know the structure of the book now i know the different chapters and the stuff i want to put into it um there's still sort of bits of research to do but realistically i'm letting it simmer i'm I'm taking my time with it because as i say i want to add something to the space i don't just want to regurgitate stuff that i've heard and what i believe i've got is a very specific unique angle that ties together a lot of ideas but hasn't been voiced before and i think the best thing for me as well is that i have found a way to incorporate my journey as i've gone by because i mean everyone has their journey that they've gone through in life over the last sort of seven eight years i've been flips around sort of professionally personally in lots of different ways um and with each of those i have tried to find new ways to um find tactics to keep being productive to the point that it damaged me and Mm -hmm. so rather than what the original book was which was how do i be more productive how do i cram as much as i can into my time into what i want to do the book actually springs off of a point in which productivity very very badly damaged me and my psyche and so I won't I I don't want to leave it just as that but at the same time I don't really want to say much more because the book's kind of working off that premise but all of that to kind of say since then um I have I'm I'm trying to think how much to say since then I've I've found the voice I found the direction I know what it's going to be um now it's just trying to find the best ways to put what I'm saying into practice so that I can write the book in the best way that it's going to be and um, there will be a bit more of on this in later on in the conversation I get more specific on but suffice to say you know it's coming um, I would like it to come out or to have it finished by the end of this year potentially ready to publish possibly beginning of next year we will see at this point I mean and yes that, Kate, was, read it. that was the longest date I've ever heard in my life uh-huh. quite frankly <laughs> just bouncing off that a little bit um I'm gonna pop to um one of Julie's questions Julie Heiner um and she said how do you like 
basically manage your time when you want to do it all and you want to do it all now and also good question Julie that's also from me like asking for a friend because mm. I have the exact same issue like there's all the things I want to do I want to do them all now if I pick just one then none of the other ones are getting done but I want to do those just as bad as this one so then I basically I sit in this middle of the circle of mm -hmm. things I want to do and just go Ugh! yeah I like the um the resounding nods as well from the group I mean it's <laughs> I, I think it's the age-old problem. It's paralysis by analysis. It's, you know, when we live in a, a world in which we have so many options, so many choices, what is the right choice to make? Because if we make that choice, we're discounting thousands of other choices. And that feels like we're losing and leaving stuff behind. Um, I mean, it's the, the, it's interesting because I've, I've very much been quite on this journey over the last few weeks. And one thing that I've heard again recently that is it always bounces back is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And so I very often find in my journey, as I'm sure like all you guys have seen through like the group as we run it, but also through Next Level Authors as well, that I tend to go through real accordion phases in which I will heap my schedule to the max, then I'll strip stuff down. And then a few weeks later, I'll build it back up and then I'll strip it down. And um, one concept that I've come across recently that I'm, that's definitely been mulling over in my head. Number one is the idea of seasonality. It's the principle that you know there, there can be periods in which you are incredibly busy but then you have to bake into that period to allow yourself some very very specific downtime you can't you can't burn at 100 forever because you die basically um so when it comes to trying to wanting to do all the things the answer really comes in what are your priorities so you know it's age old and i'm sure that renee's going to drink but what is your why like what is it what is it that you want to achieve and why is it you want to achieve that thing because if your if your goal is to make money and you are doing lots of volunteering work and doing things that aren't in any way ever going to bring you income, then that's a massive mismatch on what you're doing. And if you're and when I say goal, I don't just mean sort of what is the thing you'd kind of like. I mean, what is what is the core fundamental thing that you want to see from yourself for the next one, three, five, ten years? And how do you aim towards that? Um, having having a goal and having that North Star really makes it easier to strip away all the crap that doesn't move towards what you want to do because don't get me wrong you can like have your hobbies you can have your things that still give you energy give you passion outside of the main thing you want to do but when it comes to work when it comes to focus you have to strip it you have to strip it back and you have to be certain that the thing that you're doing is in some way even if it's not going to bear fruits right now even if it's experimental that the chance is there that it's going to take you forward it's going to take you to where you want to be um in a much more practical sense what i tend to do is I, I literally just do massive word clouds on my whiteboard and I will just list everything I'm doing. So I'll kind of categorize it through activated authors, devil's rock publishing, sort of ghostwriting, the other stuff that I do. I shoot off there every single little thing that I'm doing, every single bubble, even down to, you know, um, with this community, we have the expert panels, we have the um, ask me anything. So we have all these extra things that we do. Um, with Devil's Rock, I have um, actually managing my books, just writing the new books, all the different things, and just get as granular as I can. And then start to see what you can peel back that isn't adding to anything. Um, it's certainly a journey that I continue to go through on the daily because I did get myself into a position about a year and a half ago where I just took on too much and I essentially got involved in three different businesses. So even now I'm still trying to simmer that down and streamline the focus because that harsh reality of you can do anything, but you can't do everything really, really did hit me. And if you're trying to do everything at once, you end up just 
flailing in the water but if you can focus on one arm at a time you actually start to you know churn your way forward and, and make it happen um was there more remind me am i missing a part of answering that question no i mean it, you basically answered all of it it was the what do you want to do when you want to do everything you want to do everything now but you know you want to stay productive yeah and it actually is. manage to do those things yeah just start by picking one thing and if you are at a point in which you have dozens and dozens of different things as you know i have been i i am at this point i actually um had a talk with a potential coach myself today and we got into a chat about all the different things i'm doing and sort of trying to streamline and you know bring them all together um and i think it's it's worth adding as well that when you when you first start you say yes to everything or you can say yes to everything because you don't know what's going to stick and you don't know especially like and i'm talking here about um for example when i went full-time um you say yes to every opportunity because you don't know where it's going to lead. And I think there's always that element of you need to put yourself out there to try and to see what works. And it's only in actually trying the thing and then giving it the chance to resonate with you or to just um, be friction that you then can cut out the, and know definitely the things that you do and don't want to do. And it's, it's yeah. a constant journey of um, taking on new stuff, slimming down, recycling, moving forward and, and going on like that, or at least, you know, it has been as much as I found it. Well, I mean, and as River very astutely mentioned in the comments, like as well <laughs> as spending time with your child and also downtime, yeah. like it yeah. really is a juggling act. Well, um, another concept that... Don't um, drop the baby. Yeah. <laughs> another concept that I've come across a few times is paying yourself first. So mm. we're very, very eager to go onto our digital calendar apps and put down, this is writing time, this is work time, you know, all this kind of stuff. But we never schedule this is rest time this is recovery time this is time with partner this is time with child like all that kind of stuff and because we don't it then just slips through the cracks and it sometimes i think mentally can seem less important and i know that yeah. personally i'm one of those people i i don't like the idea of blocking in fun time because it feels like i'm mm -hmm. it's like organizing fun time but there's a way you can do it in which you leave that open don't get so granular that it's like at 11 30 i'm going to play blocks with tiger and then who calls their kids tiger someone did enjoy that <laughs> but just, you know what i mean like just make sure that they, there is times not even just to say you know this is my downtime but just to mm. say do not schedule work for this yeah and create those boundaries and again that's something that I'll, I'll be fully transparent here i'm not great at and it's something that i'm definitely working at to try and get better um but it's it's worth paying yourself first yeah i like that River was saying that her uh, Wednesdays are her daughter days, which yeah. is just, I think that's beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to change tact a little bit because um, I'm pretty sure that you could just get sucked into talking about productivity all night. And well, probably most no, people would no. be happy with that, but like <laughs> I've heard about it enough. Um, <laughs> joking. So Ara asks, how easy is it to start as an indie with no mailing list? And I think that's quite an interesting uh, question. There's mm -hmm. been a lot of discourse around mailing list recently so what you say to that then so i mean i have two answers technically number one in terms of the technical side of doing it it's never been easier you literally you find your, your mailing provider you set it all up you you know follow all the different guidances that they have on the the, the servers to set up your mailing list and to to make all the program work but i think um it's probably a bit more down to well the question is more centered around actually trying to get people on the mailing list and putting out content that people are going to enjoy. Um, mm. And again, like the answer at its core is it's easy, but that depends on, you know, where you're at 
mentally and how you think about yourself and your business like i think actually putting the mailing list out there and building the audience the actual mechanics of it are quite simple if you want to just build it slowly obviously if you're trying to like get thousands of people very quickly that's a bit of a different game um but the so the point of a mailing list is obviously to create a connection to create a rapport to um create some emotional resonance with your reader through the digital chasm because ultimately you don't know that person personally they don't really know you personally they're joined by the fact that they like a little bit of what it is that you do when you don't have any books out you can still build a mailing list you can still make a connection the the number one thing to start with is some form of reader magnet and that can look like anything i know i've had um i've had quite a few discussions with people about uh, reader magnets and stuff recently and I think there's a general um, misunderstanding is the wrong word, but I've, I've heard a lot of people say your reader magnet must be between 5,000 and 15,000 words. And the truth is your reader magnet can be whatever the fuck you want it to be. It really, it doesn't matter what your reader magnet needs to be is something enticing enough to make a reader go, huh, I, I would like to receive this thing and to get to know more about the author. So when I first started, I was writing lots of short stories for the other stories podcast. And so I would just recycle those short stories and say, if you want a free short story, join my mailing list. And those short stories were like a thousand words at, at the time. Um, I've seen authors give away entire box sets as a reader magnet. I've seen them give away novels. Like it, it depends what it is you have working for you. Uh, I know that you are, you have a lot of works that are sort of lying around doing different things. So it's, you know, you have a lot of stuff to work with depending on the type of audience you want to build. Um, which would kind of be my, my biggest advice, especially getting started on a mailer list, is try your best to be focused and know the type of reader that you're trying to reach. That's mm. that's the key thing, because there's no point putting all the effort into just drawing in anybody from all different genres just for the sake of having numbers on your list. Having an effective mailing list means having a list with a high open rate and people that actually engage with your content, because there's no point having 5,000 people on the list if one of them buys your book. So I would say the best place to start is find a piece of writing of yours that you have short, long, whatever you want to do, put it onto a PDF, um, find a way to ship it onto a program like BookFunnel, which makes it easier for readers to download that piece of writing because BookFunnel doesn't have length restrictions. And then just set up the mailing list. Um, use the reader magnet to obviously get people on there but then in terms of content and this is where a lot of people struggle because of imposter syndrome because you know what what do i have to say that a yeah, reader wants give to a hear shit? from me yeah absolutely and that's such a common um concern to have and i i hear it multiple times across like just lots and lots of different platforms so you're not alone in thinking that the truth is if if someone has liked what you've written mm. There's a there's an area there's um an air of almost gravitas of appreciation of you having done something that they believe that they can't do and whether you know that's true or not I don't know but if you think of all the writers that you appreciate all the people that you love if you think of maybe I don't know one of your your favorite authors and think of what it would be like to receive just a word from them whether it's you know what their wife's been up to that day their husband like what their pet's doing anything like that. There is there is something about being part of that behind the scenes and almost being privy to secrets. And so a really great place to start if you've got them. Pets tend to do very, very well in, in newsletters. Um, I'll shout out uh, Faye Trask's newsletter with her pup date. I just love that name um, in which she 
post pictures about uh, her dog and, you know, as well as the books and things, you can still share other people's books and curate the content based around the type of books that you want to write. So if you're writing sci-fi, you can share other people's sci-fi books and just be a sci-fi fan and bring people into that club and just show them that, you know, you're a human that they would enjoy spending time with. Um, like I've, I've shared everything sort of like minor anecdotes about Bailey food that I've cooked, just, you know, little bits that are going on in the week, places that I've been. Joanna Penn does a lot of sort of pictures of places that she's been and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there is so much content. I think it, the, the real resistance comes in that imposter syndrome in that. What do I have to say? And that's a hurdle that you kind of have to start getting over because the truth is that, you know, 99% of the people want to write a book and only 1% really ever write them. That's not an exact statistic. I'm being hyperbolic, but the premise is generally true. So you're already in the camp of people that is doing something that so many people admire and so many people want to do. So just having that, try and remember that, you know, you are steps ahead and there is some value in your voice and you do have something to say because people will listen. And, you know, the only way to start that and put that into action is, well, making it happen and just proving it over time by bringing people into what you do. Just like, just quickly before we um, move on to another question, you you said there about like, um, and then you just set it up. Now I know obviously most of the the question is around kind of like you were talking about um, imposter syndrome, like what does my reader magnet look like, or I don't like just magnet of any description because you know some people want people on the mailing list for things other than books, mm-hmm. um, or just books. But so you say just set it up. What what are the kind of like programs that you not necessarily recommend, but have had experience with for where someone could actually go and just set it up? Because obviously mm-hmm. a lot of people, if they've not set one up before, m- might not know what that step looks like. Yeah. So uh, I personally use MailerLite, um, mostly because I really like the functionality of their design for how you can actually set up the newsletters. There's a lot of um, cool features in there. So if you send a newsletter, you can actually put in like countdowns. You can put in sort of e-commerce blocks. You can put in videos that have sort of like GIFs that play and stuff. It's very animated. Um I used to use MailChimp and I moved over to MailerLite. I don't, I haven't used MailChimp in long enough now that I don't know what their uh, behind the scenes setup looks like, but you know, that is one of the, the bigger ones people can use. Things like Aweber is another um, big one. Cause the other thing too, and you know, this gets a bit more in the weeds um, and I won't kind of linger here, but one thing that is worth considering is if you are looking at building a bigger business and looking very, very specifically at integrating your mailing list with lots of different services, certain mailing lists, are more compatible for that. So Aweber, for example, is very good at integrating with lots of different like WordPress and different behind the scenes things if you're going to make like a bigger scale business. Whereas if you're just looking to start a mailing list and to get people on board, then things like MailerLite and MailChimp are just a great place to start. Cool, perfect. And um, I would just like to add very quickly because we were literally talking about this earlier about like mailing lists and stuff. And mm. I had what can only be described as a conniption. Um, <laughs> And down. <laughs> um, once I'd calmed down and stopped, like having my head between my legs and deep breathing, uh, suggested that maybe I don't have to look at all of it all at once and just kind of look at the very next step because it is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, I speak from quite literally where I am right now in like my journey experience, whatever. It's terrifying, and there's well, so many different. <laughs> yeah and it's like it's like anything like it is 
finding the right step at the right time like you say and mm. you know if you're just starting out in um your writing career and you don't you, you've got just enough to make a reader magnet you just want to get started just do a monthly newsletter it's a small commitment it gets you started and it starts to build that consistent habit and um again as we were talking about earlier sam you can you can change and experiment that's the beauty of what we do we can see what works we can practice we can try new things like I've run mailing lists monthly. I've done them fortnightly. I've done weekly. I've switched them around. I've changed the content. I've changed the format. I've changed the design. As you go, you just get better. And it's one of those things where you do just have to start if you know that's the direction you want to head. Um, and yeah, just understand that you can at any point change. If it's too much for you or if it's not kind of working as you want it to, just tweak it. That's what it's there for. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So Eden has asked... Who has had the greatest influence on your craft? Mm. I also love that uh, Eden's face suggests that they completely forgot what the question was. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> did ask. I say that? <laughs> what did Eden ask? <laughs> um, I think it's hard to narrow it down to one very, very specific person. I mean, the obvious one goes, you know, Stephen <laughs> King without... Yeah. Stephen King, I, I wouldn't have kind of... <laughs> I wouldn't have made my way into horror um i i got obsessed with his writing a fair few years ago and just kind of got got swept away down the, the stephen king train so um well and also when when i first got into it <laughs> are you right sam yeah sorry the pug's just snoring really loudly and it oh. killed me <laughs> um yeah like one of the reasons i actually got into writing in the first place was very very specifically stephen king because i was um secret santa'd a stephen king book of short stories and you know that I've said this story on, on many different platforms, but that was kind of my inception into appreciating how beautiful short stories can be and also thinking that I could give it a go. Um, so Stephen King definitely gets credit. People like Richard Lehman, um, I'm a big fan of, of his work, even though arguably it's quite <laughs> outdated at this point. There's a horror writer sort of around the 70s, 80s time, but his books are very... Strong, strong female characters, I imagine. Yeah, strong, diverse, nuanced. Yeah. it's very specific. No brain fever. No, no, no. As, yeah. as you'd yeah. kind of expect. Uh, <laughs> but the actual writing style—it's such—it's a very, very easy read. Um, it doesn't get too bogged down in detail. It's very plot-driven, um, and for horror readers, it's kind of like classic vintage horror experience. And I'd never read his, uh, any of his books before, and then I was recommended by uh, my buddy Luke, and I've now pretty much got. Every time I go to a charity shop, I just see if I can find another one. And I've got dozens of this stuff. So he was a big influence. Um, Nick Cutter, um, mm. who wrote The Troop, uh, The Deep, Little Heaven. His writing is very fantastical, as well as it plays so much on the senses that you can literally like taste and smell what is happening. And, you know, that opens up a lot of doors to really enriching your, your fiction and making worlds believable. Um, I mean, just a whole host of people. There's Chuck Palahniuk, there's um, Brian Keane, Adam Neville. I'm a big fan of his. Um, just a lot of male-centric horror authors, it seems. But, you know, that they have very, very heavily inspired the type of works that I like to write. Um, Clive Barker. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, not giving, I'm not giving you one person. <laughs> I'll give you a whole army. <laughs> Sorry, I just muted myself because someone has had the audacity to have their online uh, groceries shopping delivered and my dog is having none of it. Oh, so disgusting. I just mute myself, I know. 
Um, okay, so I saw that um, Rivers asked about this, and I was literally, it was my next question that I was going to. Um, so Pan asked, talking about your influences, craft um, or genre, would you include creative means other than books? So TV, movies, nonfiction, music, video games, I don't know, museums, crows mm -hmm. in the sky. And uh, River was asking what your favorite horror film was. So I thought maybe you could just parcel that up in a nice little bow while I seamlessly let my dog out so he will shut the air <laughs> Um Yeah, I mean, it, it's cliche but you can draw your influence from absolutely anywhere so i'm not i would i would say i'm not actually huge on horror movies like i've watched a fair few of my time but my my passion seems to be more with horror books and horror prose um but in terms of favorite horror movie i'm not i think probably the saw franchise is is up there um yeah i think this is the part as well where you start blanking on, on horror films. On any film ever made ever. On any film ever made or any any story. Now, I think Saw was definitely sort of the first dive I had into horror. Um, and I did I did quite like those, which is strange because I'm also not very like a spatagore type person. It was just, you know, the time that it was, it was kind of, I think that was really my entry into to horror movies. So I'll, I'll, I'll stick with Saw. But um, yeah, like inspiration from lots of different places. Um I, I do watch a fair chunk of Netflix and different series. Uh, Midnight Mass was freaking fantastic. River agrees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like beyond good. Although I will argue I was quite disappointed with the final episode. But that's a story. Quite for time. disappointed. Quite disappointed. Yeah. Quite. Quite. Um, Listen to you monologue for about an hour. <laughs> quite disappointed. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, just also just reading from other genres as well. Like I'm not. I read mostly horror and I write mostly horror, but I do read sort of thriller books, fantasy books, um, sort of biographies and just sort of true stories of different things. And um, I mean, TV wise, I'm mostly Netflix. I play like a fair chunk of video games and quite like, that's the fantastic thing about video games these days. The, the stories in them are absolutely amazing. Uh, the last episode of Midnight Mass was the only episode I liked. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you and Pan, I will say this, seem to have, the most opposite taste in things. Uh -huh. Whenever Pan hates something, you love it. Whenever you love something, Pan's like, <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, but yeah, video games, like, we, I feel it's kind of amazing that we live in an age where video game storylines are phenomenal. So playing sort of the Uncharted series, playing The Last of Us, games like that, where they really have sort of, it's it's not just gameplay, it's a fundamental heart mm. of the story that is just incredible storytelling. They've got um, gears on storytelling. Yeah, they really time. have. It's it's a full experience. And like, was it I'm Heavy Rain? It. Heavy oh. Rain was the first. Oh, my God. Yeah. Heavy Rain and, was phenomenal. And with like 20 alternate endings as well. Yeah, I, I finished it with the best one. <laughs> of course. Right yeah. But yeah, it's, you know, inspiration from absolutely all over the place. Am I, I feel like I'm missing a part of that question. Um, I think... So I think it's not just about your influence, but it's, I think he was asking particularly like if you find that valid, because obviously there's yes. just, there's so many people that's like you, if you want to write, you mm. have to read, which is fair, which is good advice. Like I'm not going against that, but it seems to kind of like end there. So I think it's just a case of, mm. you know, is so, it valid to be influenced by things other than other words people have also written? Yeah. So, I mean, story is story. 
at the end of the day, whether it's a soap, whether it's just a small article in a paper, like we, we draw our influence from everywhere. But I think very, very importantly is we live in a world in which multimedia is not only sort of here, but is very, very accelerated by the different platforms. Like the fact that we now have so many independent publishing platforms, not just in writing, but in games, in films, like anyone can grab whatever medium they want to and just create a story and put it out into the world. And mm -hmm. so you can't, you can't ignore all the different influences and possibilities for what your story could be. Like um, for people unfamiliar with Johnny B. Truant, he, because I've been listening to a lot of him today and I used to be a big follower of his in the days that he ran the, the self-publishing podcast. Um, and he released a book called Fat Vampire in 2012, which number one is just an amazing concept anyway. Um, but I found out today that the that book has been picked up and is currently being produced into a TV series with sci-fi. And it was the second book he ever wrote. It was one that, you know, he advertised and he pushed out, but, you know, it's just kind of like sat and done occasional cycles here and there. It's now being turned into like a full TV show. Um, so, you know, cross medium capabilities are incredible. Like the other stories a couple of times has been optioned for potential TV series deals that have never kind of come to fruition because, you know, that's the, the game of, of what it is. But, you know, you look at um, Love, Death and Robots, which is sort of a very, um, it's not episodic, it's um, anthologized sort of uh, sci-fi slash horror show on Netflix. Archive 81 is a podcast that's also been turned into a Netflix show. Like there are so many opportunities to cross-pollinate your work into different genres, adaptations. Um, I'm friends with authors who have turned books into board games that they funded on Kickstarter, comic books. Like the, the, for me, the medium really doesn't matter. The story matters. And if the story can transcend and cross all of those things, then that's an amazing way to go. Yeah. I'm I've not actually yet watched that. Archive 81 though. I need, it's on my list to watch. <laughs> <laughs> River strongly recommends you watch. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to bounce back to Julie. Um, Hi, Julie. And, <laughs> and Julie um, asked, do you have a top three tips for marketing yourself as an author? And she's specifically looking for ideas of how to get your unique flair out there and be memorable. Which I think is a very good question, particularly for Julie. Yeah. Or for everyone. But like Julie has a very like unique and awesome flavour. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. to start with, I'd say that you're already there, Julie. Like, the it, it's when you go to your stuff, when you look at your website, killersanddemons.com, for people who haven't checked it out. It's at, at Killers and Demons on Instagram also. Uh huh. It's very, very clear what you're trying to do. It is that 80s metal, serial, horror, like all that kind of good stuff. Um, so, it's, it's, I know, it's hard to give you advice because you have such a strong brand and identity. I think well, try down. That's literally the point of this. I will. I will work on it. <laughs> but so, I mean, the top things that are kind of universal, but it's always worth bearing in mind is uh, number one, just try to be as consistent as possible. And that doesn't mean that your brand can't adapt and evolve. But, you know, if you're bringing in certain type of people, make sure you're feeding those people the thing that they came to you for, um, whatever that looks like. And it doesn't mean you should be scared of experimenting and trying new things. But what you've got to remember is that if you've if you've done your job right and if you've brought people into your world and the things that you do and in your newsletter, you're sharing the things that you're passionate about and that you want your audience to kind of understand and get, then half of the hard work is done for you. Because as long as you're being honest and sharing the things that are you like, um, I'll take a minute just to kind of talk about like this community, for example, it's you know sprung from a lot of um, I, know I definitely for people listening, if this is your first podcast episode. 
I don't want to go into the full history. It's quite long. Um, so long. <laughs> but over the last year and a half, two years, especially the nonfiction side, I found that the more honest, the more transparent I've been about my journey, the hardships, the highs, the lows, like all the kind of dirty corners that people don't tend to talk about, the more honest I've been about that, the easier it's been to find the right people to come into community who seem to be benefiting from some of the stuff that I've done. Because I saw that there were so many people out there who were presenting this very polished veneer on what author life is. Like, I just, I wrote a couple of books. I now get up at like nine. I write until two, have a drink on the balcony and then I'm done for the day. And that's it. Like a bit of marketing. I put out a newsletter every now and then. It takes me five minutes to put a newsletter, all that kind of stuff. And And the corners are pristine. Exactly. And their corners are absolutely squeaky clean. Um, And so in embracing who I am in a way that I definitely didn't when I started off as an author, um, and for people that are interested, go back to my early episodes of the story studio with Luke Condor, because I, I was definitely trying to come across as someone who was an expert before I was an expert. And I was saying the things I felt like I believed in, but the, the more the things I should be saying and all the stuff that was hard about what I was doing the fact that you know when I started writing I had a newborn child the fact that I was working my job and I was my partner's maternity cover the fact that you know I was I went from running my own business when a little one was a wee one into working in a full-time job to having to like make those changes squeezing in time like running the podcast alongside of doing my own fiction like all of these things that at the time I was almost um I was almost like embarrassed by or ashamed by because they felt like they shouldn't be part of the narrative for Mm. what it is to be a creative and to push and make that stuff um, happen. And, you know, again, now like it's a nice position to be where I am at the minute because I can kind of look back in hindsight and go here are the mistakes I've made, but that really is what I want to liberate from other authors. So spinning this back to, you know, finding your own voice, just being authentically you. And that's a, that it's an easier said, it's sometimes easier said than done because not everyone is fully comfortable embracing who they authentically are for different reasons um but i will say julie that you do come across genuine you come across authentic that's one of the reasons that i definitely gravitated to you in the beginning when you know you were doing the readings and we started working together on different books and stuff so in terms of voice just keep doing what it is that you're doing um i will say as well it's worth trying to do less better so what i mean by that is don't get sucked into splatter gunning yourself across all the platforms just because you feel like you should be on them as we kind of said earlier start with one thing one thing that you like get good at it so for me that was instagram i really really enjoy instagram i get on with it well like it's a platform i like so i cut out twitter Uh, i don't use facebook as much as i used to i've only recently started playing with (laughs) i've only recently started playing with tiktok um and that's more not because I think I'm going to gravitate over there entirely, but number one, just to see what it's about, because I like to play and experiment and be up to date as much as I can with stuff. Um, He's but, down with the kids. That's what, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I just need to like do those little videos where you point at words over here and then <laughs> over here and just have some funky song in the background. Um, desperately holding on to that. Third thing. <laughs> but yeah, so do less better. Um, and as I say, just give people your truth. But I also understand because I'm I'm very critical of this. Give people your truth, but give people the truth that you're comfortable in sharing. Because yes. just because I say be honest and transparent, that doesn't mean, for example, that I'm going to go into history of like ex-partners or certain people that, you know, my business has nothing to do with because 
I can I can speak broadly about stuff, but I'm not gonna like use my platform to like air dirty laundry or to use other people's examples just you know without their permission. So be honest. Um and you know, you can curate certain parts of your life to share with people. It's totally up to you where where you go with that. Well, I was gonna I was gonna ask about this because I know, for example, um one of our members, um Emmy, Emmy G. Emmy G. Um Emmy G. Um you know, and other kind of authors and things will use pen names. And obviously sometimes pen names are because you write in multiple genres and you don't want to confuse or cross-pollinate readers. But of course, another reason, and because I saw River's comment, is people might be deathly afraid of rejection or that like Mm -hmm. they're not interesting enough, even if they are being completely transparent to the level of which they are comfortable. So while it's while you're saying it's important to be kind of genuine transparent all of those kind of things what do you say about um if someone wants to almost make a character so they've got a protection level like how does how do you work that instead of kind of the just like Mm -hmm. this is actually me 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 (laughs) what if someone wants to be like this is joanne yeah i'm joanne so So what i will say on that is I, I I definitely understand there are certainly situations in which people are in positions where it's better to have a pen name and to create a mask of safety in front of you know what they're doing. By all means, do that. I think fundamentally there are still going to be core principles and values that translate into that character. And if mm-hmm. anything, like if you are super nervous about putting your name out there, having that freedom of being behind a name is liberating. It's fantastic. It's you know an amazing way to go. Um, and you know, create your drag persona. Yeah, and you can potentially do things to that name that you couldn't by by yourself what i will say is that and this is very much speaking from not only my experience but lots of authors that i've spoken to because i had a real worry about this when i started with i i considered using a pen name stephen hancock for people that are interested um and the <laughs> i'm sorry no, i'm sorry pause just for a <laughs> second because i'm sorry you want <laughs> you you wanted a pen name, but you were like, do you know the one part of my name that I can't drop is cock? Do you know what? It's it's true. It's um, <laughs> my nan's maiden name. So I have a whole history <laughs> of cock cock. my family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry yeah, to well, interrupt. Yeah, no, that's fine. I So, yeah, one thing that I know that a lot of people do worry about, especially when you put out that first book, because, you know, I write horror, I write weird stuff, is what if the people who some of these characters are based off what if my family reads this and what if they sort of judge me for the things that i put out there um thanks that julie <laughs> um and i think there's a very visceral reaction that people have with um putting out that first book and worrying that they're going to be seen for certain things that they put in there um because i know that my first books i definitely included situations that were um quite close to me personally in in mm. some ways and my like look, the thing I'll, I'll say on that is that the people that you're worried about reading your book are likely not going to read your book. Like I worried that my parents would read and, and judge me for sort of like stuff that I put in horror wise and, you know, gratuitous violence wise. And they, they haven't picked it up. Like my friends and family, most of them, like the response I typically get is, Oh, I should read, really read one of your books at some point. And I literally say, why? Like, I'm not asking you to, if it's not, if it's not something that interests you, don't read it. Like what? Well, it's just a waste of time. I'm not expecting you to read it. Um, so if that is a worry of yours, I wouldn't 
put too much weight into that. Like, obviously, I don't know sort of the people that you're around and everything else, but it's not something to to worry about too much. Um, but yeah, I think you know it can be very liberating to have that pen name and can be useful. Obviously, it then opens you up to never being able to fully be transparent, and you know you kind of have to take that as it comes. So I I very much just decided that I'd rather be Daniel Wilcox and just you know, if I'm writing anything, I want to be wholeheartedly behind what I'm writing. And again, that's not a slight on people that have pen names. That's just the choice that I made. Yeah. Just, yeah, don't drop the cock. That makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. <laughs> that, Julie, I want that on my tombstone. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do, because we're getting close to now, so I'll, I will, um, two more questions. So first of all, um, from Pan, Pan would like to know uh, when... When would you say it's best, if ever, to publish under a limited liability company? Um, and did you go at it from the very beginning with an LLC? So I will start by saying I'm not a legal advisor and this is just my experience. Um, my business, I began as a sole trader, um, which I think is slightly different in other countries. Um, but I went as sole trader just because it was easier to manage. Um, for me, you know, as an author, your business doesn't really rely on too many other people in terms of, you know, bringing on team, being responsible for the health and well-being of others. If you're running events, it's very solo. It's very siloed. It's very easy just to go. I'm writing a book and I'm putting it out into the ether. So um, legally, there, there isn't a whole great deal that can come back at you if you, you know, um, not including like libel and um, fraud and that, that kind of stuff. So I started a sole trader. It was only when I started Devil's Rock Publishing that I switched to um, limited, a limited company, because my plan was to expand and to bring on other team members. And, you know, as if you're looking at expanding and building kind of like quite a big business is what you're doing. It can be, and I stress can be advisable, um, according to my accountants to turn or to convert to a limited company, because the main advantage being that, you know, if there are any legal battles, if anything goes wrong, um, the person who's coming after you they can take the um they they come for the company as opposed to your personal assets so you know my house for example isn't tied up in my business whereas if i'm a sole trader i am the business so anything that i own personally as a personal asset can also be used in those situations so um you know it's on an individualized basis how big you think you're going to be what your kind of business plan is the different risks that you think you're going to have to take um, there are tax advantages to either way that you go, depending on how you have your business set up. But yeah, it was sort of on advice from my accountant as I started Devil's Rock with the intention of growing, bringing on more of a team. Um, Activated Authors is the brand name for all of this stuff, but it does uh, trade under the Devil's Rock Publishing brand. So um, as this scales, as I want it to, and as this grows, you know, there'll be um, positions where that's a benefit to be a limited company. But it's, I, th- I think, you know, it's got to be on an individual, individual basis. I'd recommend speaking to an accountant or a lawyer just to work out what's best for you, depending on the kind of content you're putting out, how you want to grow your business, how you build the infrastructure. Um, but I would say that sort of sole trader is like a, a fine place to start. Lovely. Um, sole trader. So, because I'm a sole trader, mm-hmm. is, does that, is that the same as like freelance? Would that be a good, like reference yeah. to other yeah, places I mean, maybe i don't know yeah i literally don't know I'm <laughs> yeah i won't i won't dive too deep because i'm not i'm not massively i'm clued up as much as i need to be for my business um but yeah most most freelancers are sole traders in the uk 
fair enough. Right, and the final question for this evening, because we've got five minutes left. Um, I figured we started with productivity, so we might as well end. Productivity sandwich. Mm. Um, I'm (laughs) (laughs) With just too many stories about the fact that you clearly are over-invested in the word cock in your name. Um, Renee would like to know, has the book... Four th- is it 4,000 weeks? Yes. I read that as 40,000 and now 4,000 seems like so few weeks. Anyway, that's by the by. Has the book 4,000 weeks changed your view on productivity at all? Mm. So if you had asked me a few months ago, yes, um, but not quite. It, 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 it's been very timely that that book has come out. So, um, and this is kind of the stuff I was alluding to at the beginning. So I... I'm halfway through the book, so I've not yet finished it, but the, the stuff that I've read so far kind of, it does resonate very, very deeply because um, something that I've been coming across quite a lot and what is also informing my productivity book is this concept of anti-productivity. Mm. So um, for people who are familiar with Cal Newport and books like Deep Work, um, he has a podcast, which is fantastic, but I came across um, the idea of what he calls slow productivity. Um, and there is a real anti-productivity movement and that's not that people want to be doing less or to achieving less the the anti-productivity movement is more about how do you effectively work on the important stuff in a way that doesn't burn you out and that you can sustain because as you know if you if you crack down what the history of productivity is productivity is broadly a term that came around with farming industrialization in which people were looking at the best way to maximize the output of industry by sort of reducing the input of cost and time. So productivity itself, its roots come from the industrial revolution and really sort of like bad working conditions. And it carries on as people go forward. And as technology has evolved and enabled us to do more and more, it therefore means that we feel like we can do more and more and more to the point that we are as a society in a position in which we have normalized what is very, very radical work patterns, outputs, productivity. And so 4,000 weeks kind of plays on on this idea as well that, you know, we do only have a limited time and there's very much a culture of hustle, of work until you drop, of cramming work into every last second that you have. And (laughs) I'm really trying not to get too deep, but I feel like I am on this. Um, And I'm not saying that there isn't a place to work harder when you need to. Like I clearly needed that time to hustle and to work hard to get myself from a position of being in the old day job to where I am now like I couldn't have done that if I hadn't worked my ass off um, unless I found sort of very very different means but the broad conversation tends to be like how do you just spend more time working how do you like cut everything else out so you can spend more time I mean working on things that you want to in the productive way but it's a killer and it's not what humans are built to maintain and I speak from as I say, a position of an incident in which I, I had sort of very, very bad, like psychological moment. Again, that will, <laughs> I'll tease that, that comes out in the book. Um, but also just in terms of the amount of burnouts that I regularly went through and continue to still go through as mm-hmm. I'm trying to peel back on what I have <clears throat> taught myself and bought into with, with productivity. Um, and so the book itself, I think, is just a very, it's, it's another confirmer of how hard it is just anyhow as i said earlier being convicted in making that one decision and cutting out all else and 
accepting that productivity doesn't mean you are going to be able to achieve everything by reading these books, by managing your inbox and getting your inbox to zero, by, you know, getting up at 4am every morning, you're still not going to be able to achieve the things that the world is telling you that you can like always achieve. So it's, yeah, it's just another um, arrow in that, that quiver really of anti-productivity. And again, like I think anti-productivity will have negative uh, connotations, but what I'm very interested in is how do you sustainably engage in work that matters that can move you forward in a way that is most effective which i think ultimately is what productivity should be rather than how can i fill every last second with stuff and then also have a side hustle and also have a side hustle and then also have your kids and then also have the day job and then also Mm -hmm. be looking after an elderly relative and then also have something else going on oh god bless janine elderly relative oh okay <laughs> who's janine an elderly relative not oh, mine but I've got one called janine she all right still going bingo <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 she has to be wheeled there now but you know yeah. it is a good book though i would recommend it to people well i think look at that i've i've run as one minute over i do apologize there are a few <laughs> other questions in here that i will roll over um to the next AMAs or if you sorry every time I say it I just hear the American (laughs) Music Awards the next ask me anything or Mm. ask Dan anything because you know that's why you're here um or maybe if Mr Wilcox try not to desperately try not to make a joke um might pop in the slack and answer a few I don't know I don't see but there we go that's 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 what I've got for you this evening there it is. Well, thank you, everyone, for your questions. Thank you for Yanni and Cassie and everyone else who joins us over on Facebook. And we will be doing another one of these next month. So feel free to get involved and jump on over then. But thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we'll see you next week. Activate your energy.